Welcome back. We're so glad to have you here. <laughs> Starting off with a musical. <laughs> As per usual. <laughs> I'm Kelsey. I'm Bryn. And this, this is Crime, Crime Cults and Coffee. <laughs> I was just saying last night how it's I it's so bad how I can't sing. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, we sing all the we time. We sing all the time into a microphone on a podcast for whoever the fuck can listen to I it. Know. And I I'm feel like, like it sounds pretty good though. Yeah, but I wish I could actually sing because I would actually probably be annoying if I could. I feel like I'd be singing everything. We if would I could record sing. our own like intro song. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Alrighty. Mm. So before we get started, there's a couple things we wanted to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. You want to start? Yeah. So, we wanted to mention, I don't know if we ever mentioned this before, um, but we do pre-record our episodes. So, we're about, like, four episodes caught up, basically. So, when we record this one, it's not going to release for, like, another four weeks. Right. Um, like so, a month ahead. Right. So, if you ever give a request of a case or anything, or um, even, like, for coffee brands that send us coffee, we pre-record them and it takes, like, four weeks to come out. So. Mm-hmm. We which, just want to throw that out there. Which we're going to continue doing because luckily we were doing that when right. we got COVID or we would have been fucked. Right. <laughs> and for listener stories too. Like if you record a listener story and you're like, damn, that's what that was like five episodes ago. Yeah. It's coming. We will also always let you know before your episode comes out. Yeah. Whether it's a request or you're on the show or on the podcast as a listener. On the show. On the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to our show. <laughs> we sing and it's a show now. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a live one time maybe we should i have fun. a camera i mean the closest thing we've gotten to a live i think was our snow day souffle because true. it was recorded the night before <laughs> true we should do one where we like record like us though like sitting there like yeah the camera. well then i'd have to do my hair and makeup I and know. actually like we literally look, look like bums whenever we do this like i have slippers on and my heated blanket my gray like hair is so showing <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to actually dye our hair yeah what else do we have to talk about? Uh, so, besides that, well, we are going to actually be doing some kind of live thing, hopefully. Yeah. In the spring, we have a collab type thing. We're not, we're not going to go any further than that with details, but yeah. we have a collab with Cars Coffee that mm. we have in the works that today we're actually going to be reviewing two of their coffees yes so we wanted to mention that as well that we do have something coming once it gets warmer out and we can stand to be outside in the stay the tuned. weather <laughs> yeah i know really yeah stay tuned for that i'm excited yeah yeah um so we also wanted to talk about i know it's been a while since we talked about merchandise and the mugs were hit yeah, we probably should bring those back come yes. spring or some do something a little different. Yeah. Put in any suggestions if there's any quotes that you've liked from yeah. our podcast that you, you would like on stuff. a mug. Like he ombre that V from last <laughs> from a couple episodes ago. Jamie called me today and said that. He ombre like, that, that V. <laughs> She's like, where do you girls come up with this stuff? Yeah, if there's anything that stand out that you'd like on a mug. Just give us some suggestions, because we're like, we don't know what to put on this shit besides Crime Colts and Coffee. Right. And we have, we probably have, like, how many shirts left now? We have 18 shirts left yeah. from our first shirt drop. Yeah. Which, which we again, got a lot at first. Yeah, so. which we did. <laughs> which, again, includes plain black, mm-hmm. splattered, or tie-dye. If you go on to our merch highlights tab on Instagram, you can see all the options. You can see the prices. Yep. 
And you can order by either DMing us or emailing us at crimecultsandcoffee at gmail.com. There's no medium left. I think there's a couple smalls. There's like one small. And it's mo- the majority is like large to 2x. Left. Right. Right. Um, so. Yes, we have those. And we were thinking about maybe doing other clothing or other merchandise. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's it before we get into our coffee, right? I think so. Okay, so as we mentioned, today's coffee, we're reviewing Cars Coffee again. Thank you, Cars, Thank for you sending so, much. so many samples. Sorry it's taken us like three months <laughs> to get through your coffee. <laughs> as we mentioned, these are pre-recorded. Yeah, It takes a while. And as we mentioned in another episode, we are doubling up on some coffees yeah. to play catch-up because we don't want people sitting around waiting for us for... Right. Months and months on Especially end. Especially with, like, fresh coffee. Right. Um, so, yeah, the two that we are reviewing from Cars today is one of their sample blends and Guatemala Antigua. Woohoo! Which is a medium roast. Yep. And just a little refresher, their Instagram handle is at Cars Coffee. And their website is CarsCoffee.com. And they're located in Stillwater, New Jersey. Check them out. Yes. And, um, what was I going to Oh, yeah, we previously reviewed their coffee. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, in a couple episodes. Our first one with all of the information was in episode 15, mm-hmm. and that was where we did the Tanzania Peaberry, and then another episode where we talked about them was episode 18. Yeah. And actually, before we start today, we have to give a coffee bean rating yeah. for the Tanzania Peaberry. We really liked that one, and it was before we did the coffee bean rating. Yes. <laughs> so we want cars and everybody to know that it was really good. Yeah, the Tanzania Peaberry, we would have rated, if we had the rating at that time, mm-hmm. an 8.5. Which is a, that's a good one. Yeah. It was really good. So make sure to check that one out because that was one of our faves from them. I think it's still my favorite. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So, okay, regarding today's coffee. I have, I'm Kelsey, me, here (laughs) present. I have the sample blend, the second sample blend. They send us two sample blends and we'll do that one a different day. But I have the second one here. Which one do you have? I have Guatemala Antigua. All right. Do you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Um. Can you talk while I'm sipping? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, Bryn is drinking out of a blue mug. Mm. <laughs> okay, what are your thoughts? Okay. To me, the Guatemala Antigua, I can taste notes of chocolate. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like there's a spice to it, too. Like a spice, not spicy chocolate, but there's a spice. Yeah, definitely. And chocolate. That's the main things I tasted when I tried that one as well. Mm-hmm. On their website, um, it says that there's uh, acidity and body imbalance with its floral chocolatey flavors, hints of smoke, spice, orchid, lemon zest, and spiced chocolate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I do taste a little bit of citrus too, but I lean more towards the chocolate notes that I'm tasting. Right, and remember, these are notes. These are not the coffee's flavor. Right. These are just notes in the beans. It's not chocolate-flavored coffee, so don't go ahead buying this thinking that you're going to be drinking these chocolate. These bitches lie. Yeah. It is not chocolate. Right. And <laughs> it's very subtle. Yeah, I think it all... I also um, smell that when I'm smelling it as well, and I, thi- I also feel like this coffee is full... Like, it's a full-bodied coffee, even though it's a medium roast. I'm getting that it's not 
it's not watered down. Like, it has that right. It's very flavor. flavorful. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I do too. So, the Guatemala Antigua, I would rate eight coffee beans. Yeah, I'd probably give it an eight as well. I like that one a lot. Okay. So, what do you think of the sample blend? So, it's so hard to think, honestly, for me to think of the notes being there without previously, like, you know, putting them in my head. Like, okay, look out for floral. Look out for... Right. So... I think this one is really good. I feel like it's very similar to the Guatemala Antigua, and in all honesty, it might be partially the Guatemala because they blend their coffee. Yeah, since it's a sample blend, for all we know, the Guatemala Antigua is in this one, and we happen to just pick both of these bags for this episode. I feel like this is, like, it doesn't say on the bag, but I feel like this is also a medium roast coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's full-bodied. I... I taste, like, I feel like it's, like, a little creamier. Than, I think so, too. I agree. Like, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's creamier than the Guatemala. Yeah. If that make it, makes any sense. Agreed. But it still has a lot of flavor to it. Let me see if I can smell anything. I also, in the sample blend, I tasted a little more citrus in that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You like, can definitely, hint of citrus. You can definitely taste that little twang. Mm-hmm. And Kelsey's drinking. <laughs> I also taste the chocolate in it, too, though. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. What would you rate this one? I would probably give this one an 8, since I feel like it's so similar to the Guatemala Antigua. Agreed. I like I there's also... very similar notes to it, so. So, 8 and 8. Eight's all around. <laughs> oh, yeah. You get an 8. You get an 8. <laughs> so, thank you, Cars. Thank you so much. We love you, and... You're so supportive of us and our podcast, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, we honestly are so lucky to be able to work with you guys. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Is that it? Yeah. All right. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Okay. So today's case uh, was actually another listener suggestion. Um, My friend Jackie sent this case in to us. Thank Thank you you, so much. Um, She's like, this is really interesting. You guys should talk about it. So we did. And... I, I mean, I had never heard of this case somehow. Me either. And now I'm really glad I did because it's such an important case to it's know huge. about. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. So this case today that we we're talking about is Dennis Martin. His full name was Dennis Lloyd Martin. He was nicknamed Denny. I love the name Lloyd. Really? I don't know why. What? I do. I don't know why. Okay. No offense to the Lloyds, but that really threw me off guard. Just throw that out there. Alrighty. Um, His nickname was Denny. He was born June 20th, 1962, which would make him six years old at the time of this event, and he was about to turn seven years old. He was approximately four feet tall, and he had curly, dark brown hair with brown eyes and long eyelashes. Hmm. He was known as a very very smiley boy, too, which is so cute. Um, William C. Martin, a.k.a. Bill, was his father. He was an architect. His mother was Violet Martin. Clyde Martin was his grandfather. Douglas and Michael Martin were his brothers, and Sarah was his sister. They lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, had a German shepherd named Lady. Oh, cute. Uh, He was described as quiet and energetic, 
And he was a fast walker. I love that that was thrown in there. I know. They always <laughs> said when they would go on hikes or something, he'd be, like, the leader of the pack, just, like, oh, speed walking in front of everyone. baby. Yeah. He was actually in special education classes in school. Um, The Martin family had a long-established tradition. The male members took a camping trip to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park to celebrate Father's Day every year. And I think we mentioned this a few other times in the um, podcast, but we're going to just abbreviate that to GSMNP so we don't have to say Great Smoky Mountains National Park every time. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise, we will start messing words up. (laughs) (laughs) Which I probably have already done. (laughs) So, Father's Day weekend of 1969, Dennis was visiting the GSMNP with his father, grandfather, and his older brother, Doug, who was at the time about nine years old. This was Dennis's first camping trip. Aw, sweet boy. I know. They hiked from Cades Cove to Russell Field and camped overnight, which was about 10 miles. They spent the first night of their trip at Russell Field Shelter. So this is, like, a huge, obviously, it's a huge national park, a huge campground. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where they spent the first night of their trip. June 14th, 19, 1969. Early in the morning, they hiked west for two miles until they reached Spence Field. So keep in mind that Spence Field is going to be one of the biggest locations in this case. Mm-hmm. This is a quote. Spence Field was a grassy area running east to west on the main Great Smoky Ridge. The Appalachian Trail... Wait. (laughs) (laughs) We just learned recently... Oh, I messed up. We have both said Appalachian our whole lives. I swear to God I was taught that. Me too. And somehow my brother was like, no, it's Appalachian, which sounds... It sounds funky. No, I don't like it. And he's like, I almost went to Appalachian State. I know it. <laughs> so I guess it's Appalachian now. So we're going to say Appalachian. If I remember. Just so we don't get attacked by people. <laughs> <laughs> but in our own time, we will say Appalachian. <laughs> <laughs> Away from the podcast. Mike. Yeah. Okay, get back to this visual, Kels. Okay, so this is the visual of Spence Field again. Appalachian Trail (laughs) and the Tennessee slash North Carolina border run along the apex, which is 4,800 feet above sea level, which is the field that we're talking about. Streams and creeks on the north side of the ridge drain into the volunteer state, while water courses on the south side of the ridge descend into North Carolina. So basically this field was the, there was a state line in between, between Tennessee and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, the area features steep slopes, deep ravines, fast-moving creeks, and scores of laurel and rhododendron vines. But the grassy and flat Spence field seemed benign enough on this sunny and cloudless day. This was a um, blog post written by Texas Cryptid Hunter. Um, so... They took shelter on the west side of the campground, uh, on the Spence Field. Dennis and his brother Doug had made two friends with, with, had made friends with two kids from another family that were also camping nearby, who weirdly enough had the same last name as Martin. 
So Dr. Carter Martin of Huntsville, Alabama, and throughout this podcast episode, we'll actually um, refer to him as the Martins of Alabama, because obviously there's two Martin families. Mm -hmm. Um, So Dr. Carter Martin and his two sons were also at the Russell campsite, the Russell Field campsite the night before. Um, Several other members from the family were at the Spence Field when both Martin families arrived there on the 14th. So the Martins, like Dennis's family, had met these Martins from Alabama the night previously and then met again at Spence Field with more Martins. Yeah. So many Martins. So so the Martin children were just playing together yeah. throughout this weekend. Yeah. So Bill, who again was Dennis's dad, and Clyde, who was Dennis's grandfather, um, as well as some other family members from the Alabama Martin family, sat and watched the boys play together. So right. they were like, finally, we can, like, relax. they're busy, we yeah. can relax. Yeah. Yeah. So, 4.30 p.m. that day, according to the park report, which I had, I'm mentioning this because in some articles it said 3 p.m., mm-hmm. but on the official park report it said 4.30 p.m., so I think we should probably go with that. Yeah. The kids huddled together in the tall grass and whispered to each other, and this was all observed by these parents. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, they sprinted off in two different directions, kind of like a football huddle, and you're like, break, and then you, like, run apart. So, Doug and the two Alabama Martin boys Mm -hmm. ran to the woods to the south, and then Dennis alone ran into the woods to the northwest, which I think is kind of weird, though, that... His brother didn't go with him? Yeah, or one of the other kids didn't go with him, like... Unless they were, like, being mean or something, that he was, like, the youngest The baby one, or whatever. So they, like, yeah. said, okay, I'll run this way, and then he ended up being the only one that ran. The other himself. way. Yeah. yeah. Or there was just miscommunication, maybe, and they yeah. ran, and he just ran separate by himself. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, he ran by himself, though. Yeah. So, yeah, he ran into the woods to the northwest, and the kids had actually planned a prank on... Uh, Dennis's father and grandfather, as well as maybe some of the other adults, Mm -hmm. they decided to run into the woods, sneak up behind them, and jump out to scare them. So that's what they were kind of talking about in the middle of the field and then went to do this prank. Yeah. So Doug and the two boys jumped out to scare Bill and Clyde, but Dennis didn't. And the men and the boys waited between three and five minutes, so it wasn't very long at all. Mm -hmm. And they thought maybe Dennis misunderstood the timing of the prank, so they're like, oh, we'll give him time to, like, do his part of it. Yeah. And, but after these three to five minutes have passed, they soon became concerned. And this was actually the last time that Dennis was seen on the Tennessee side of Spence Field. Yeah, so when he ran and took off, he ended up going towards the Tennessee side. So Mm -hmm. just keep that in mind for later. Yeah. We'll talk about a couple theories. So Bill, Clyde, and the other boys, plus other adults Mm -hmm. of the Martin family, looked for Dennis but couldn't find him anywhere within the area. Mm -hmm. Bill, his dad, actually ran down the Appalachian Trail for nearly two miles, shouting Dennis's name, went back to camp because he's like, oh, maybe he got back already. Yeah. Yeah. And then he ran about two miles in another direction looking for him. And there are several trails that actually connect to Spence Field. So there's Anthony Creek and Boat Mountain, and this is on the Tennessee side. There's Eagle Creek and Jenkins Ridge Trail, which is on the North Carolina side. And keep in mind that the Boat Mountain Trail is a Jeep and truck trail. 
and 5.5 miles of this trail can be used for both trucks and Jeeps, but the last 1.5 miles is for Jeeps only. So this is why I said to keep it in mind because that was the side, the Tennessee side is where the the he, Jeep trail was, and that's where, where he, he ran. So someone literally could have just drove up, snagged him, put him in the and car, left, and left before they even knew. Yeah, because they waited like five minutes. Yeah, yeah. So which doesn't, which in reality isn't a long time at all. Right. But it is a long time if someone's driving by and just snatched right. your kid up. And if you think about it, like, it was such a big area that they may not have heard the car if there was a car. I don't know. Yeah. I just can't imagine what Bill had ha- had to have been going through literally running miles screaming his child's name looking for his little child. Hoping he'd bump into him. For his six-year-old. Oh. Yeah. So, after several hours, they requested help from National Park Service Rangers, and Dennis's grandfather, Clyde, had actually hiked six miles and arrived at Cades Cove Ranger Station around 8.30 p.m. Wow. Which, I don't know how old his grandpa was, but that's a lot for a grandfather to yeah. to do, Especially I Especially in the Great Smoky Mountains, like, that's... By yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. So, Cades Cove Subdistrict Ranger Larry K. Nielsen notified the dispatcher at park headquarters at 8.28 p.m. So, Clyde must have gotten there around 8.30. Yeah. Because at 8.28, someone was already notified. hmm And the dispatcher turned on the radio tape recorder and notified Chief Ranger Snedden and North District Ranger Morris. While driving around with the rangers, Bill stopped and talked to many people along the trail, but none of them had seen Dennis. <laughs> so sad yeah so around 9 p.m there was actually a thunderstorm and they got 2.5 to 3 inches of rain over a couple of hours so it was a a pretty big storm Yeah. yeah it was coming down heavy um there were also heavy winds and search efforts continued throughout the night by rangers and family members but obviously it was difficult with rain and heavy wind yeah anything you can't see anything yeah trails were washed out any tracks or scent by by that point was probably gone because of the rain. Yeah. Uh, streams flooded and were turbulent. Temperature, temperatures dropped to nearly 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius. And winds and w- roaring water could drown out cries for help or the shouts of Dennis's name. Oh, God. So... It's like the worst possible weather you could have The worst combo. Yeah. yeah. Not only is it washing away any evidence that was on the ground or that could be smelt by possibly a search dog. Yeah. You can't hear anything. Right. So those searching asked people on every trail to Spence Field if they had seen Dennis. So people, the people that were involved in already helping look for him were doing everything that they possibly could. Yeah. And they asked a lot of people. Mm Mm-hmm. So now we're going to get a little further into the investigation and search efforts, which... There is a lot. This is summarized. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's like a 85-page detail of how the searches went, and it's literally so hard to read because the the font is so small, Mm -hmm. but if you want to read the 85 pages, go for it. This is a summary. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually the incident report and all... A bunch of files that were kept on this entire case. Like we will link day it. By day. Yeah, we will link it on our Facebook page if you're interested in reading all of it. Yeah. So it starts off with Sunday, June 15th, 1969, which was the next day. 
At 5 a.m., a search crew of park rangers, Blount and Sever County Rescue Squad volunteers, and hikers assembled at Boat Mountain Road to search. Um, this was the initial search crew. It was one crew of 30 men with five liters, 10 crew crews of two to four men with 10 liters, and they actually obtained a helicopter approval by Tony Stark, who is part of the Resources Management and Visitor Protection, which... I'm so shocked that they were able to get a helicopter that quick to help look for him. I mean, well, maybe that's like a thing in a national park, though. And maybe because he was so little, yeah, they were true. like, he can't we need fend for himself. And he had already, if he was out there somewhere, he was already did an entire night in a storm. Like, they were probably like, oh and my god, freezing. he could be hypothermic. Yeah. yeah. Experienced NPS personnel began a drainage search down the Little River Anthony Creek, Little Bald, and Spence Field drainages. So basically, they were like, everything's flooded. We need to at least start there where all the water's running. Mm -hmm. So at 12 p.m. Um, is when Bill Martin actually arrived at the scene of the search. Uh, they started at 5 a.m. and he arrived at 12 p.m. We were talking about this earlier. Maybe it was because they ha the police had him for questioning or he was literally up all night looking mm -hmm. for his son and he had to sleep. Yeah. Um, so then one o'clock, uh, rolls That's just around. speculation on our part. Yeah, like, that's who, not fact. Yeah. That's just our opinion. So at this point, uh, 1 p.m. rolls around, and there's more than 240 people that join the search party, which includes local Boy Scouts, maintenance personnel, college students, Smoky Mountain Hiking Club, park rangers in training, and the North Carolina Rescue Squad crews on Jeeps and trucks and helicopters. So there was, like, an overwhelming amount immediately of people yeah. that jumped into the search. I had also read that there were obviously on-duty and off-duty cops, but also firefighters. Yeah. The park actually set up a 24-hour watch at, at Spence Field because this is the last place that Dennis was seen. And I think they were figuring, you know, if he's going to come back, it's going to be to the spot that he, you know, was familiar with. Mm-hmm. So, members of 57 rescue squads from four states took part in this search. That's insane. Yeah. At some point, there was also a separate search done by the National Guard and Special Forces. Military personnel included 60 Green Berets diverted from training missions to help with the search, mm -hmm. which is huge. Mm -hmm. Local newspapers and radio stations picked up the reports and began to call in for information. So they were just getting the word out immediately. This is the next day. Yeah. I mean, that is the good thing about this is there were so many people willing to jump in and help yeah. and information was getting put out there. Right. For anybody to have possibly seen him to come right. forward. So that was a day after Dennis went missing. And now this is Monday, which is two days after, June 16th. Um, trail and drainage searches continued. Areas that were already searched were searched again, and a grid pattern search was launched at the Spence Field by Ranger Nicholson and Hoffman. Military was contacted at this point, and they obtained several volunteers from the Air Guard group to help with the search as well. A heliport was established at Cades Cove in the field. That's wow. Yeah. Basically, at this point, there was hundreds of volunteers willing to help with a search, and it would literally take me 20 minutes to list all of the people that were involved, but there was a ton. There were so many people. Yeah. And children helping. Right. So by the end of Monday, there was around 300 people involved in the search that day. Wow. It's a ton. Mm-hmm. So now we'll move on to Tuesday, the 17th. The search continued. 
people were getting tired tired and several of the staff members were actually sent back to rest because they were working like overtime and not mm-hmm. sleeping lodging and meals were provided to the government officials that were searching and volunteers supplied food for the other res- for the other searchers wow. there were so many people like even if they didn't help with the search they were making food for the searchers they were just and contributing how they could yeah, yeah. Um, so by Tuesday, there was 365 people involved in the search of that day. Wow, holy shit. Yeah. So Wednesday, June 18th, the search continued with a total force of 615 people for this day. Crazy. The first of many predictions were made by individuals, clairvoyants, and other people. There were a lot of mediums, clairvoyants involved in this case. Yeah. There was three main predictions that the family was most receptive to. I can't talk, most receptive to, but none provided evidence. They basically were just saying, this is what I, I mean. This is how I feel. Yeah, and you can't, I mean, anyone who believes in mediumship, you can't really provide evidence. It's a a vision or a knowing. And and imagine that this person, these clairvoyants and other people came forward and said this and like it actually did lead to something. Imagine them holding on to that thinking, oh, I shouldn't say anything. Right. I mean... It's, it's like a win, win some, lose something when it comes to that stuff. Because I feel like there are people out there who are legit and know their shit. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who take advantage. pretend and take advantage of the family. Yeah. yeah. So these three predictions basically said he would be found close to where he was last seen and that he fell into bushes or shrubbery or near trees. And a a strategy meeting was held at park headquarters at 9 p.m. to discuss everything that had been searched and what further action should be taken. Yeah. And then we're on to Thursday, June 19th. One prediction was called into the headquarters from a woman named Mrs. Schwaller. And this is a quote. The boy would be found five miles southeast from area last seen on a stream by a waterfall and that other white pine trees were in the area. She said she saw this in a dream and some past dreams of hers had come true. So she was just basically like, oh, it might be like a dream premonition. This might be helpful. Yeah. No evidence was found at this location. And on this day, 690 people was the total search party. Wow. Yeah. So in the days to follow, the number of people searching increased by the day. More and more people just kept joining this. Yeah. And as of 2021, this is still the most extensive search in the park's history. Wow. So it involved approximately 1,400 searchers and a 56 square mile, which is in kilometers, 150 kilometers squared area. This search number was on Saturday, June 21st, 1969, when it reached that 1,400 mark. Yeah, that was like the peak in the most that they've seen thus far. Mm-hmm. The total man hours for this search from the day Dennis went missing until June 19th was 13,420 hours. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. I can't even, like... Yeah. And helicopters actually spent nearly 200 hours in the air looking for him. Wow. Yeah, in that time span. Wow. And the total cost of this search, and this was in... 1969 money, I'm assuming. And this is, like, totaling, like, the fuel that the helicopters needed, all the food that was provided, the lodging, like, everything. Yeah. $50,000, or $50,000, I'm sorry, $50,584. Insane. Yeah. This also was 
to pay the workers that were actually involved in the search. Right. But that's so much money. Yeah, that's a lot of money And back for back then. More yeah. than a thousand searchers continued to look until June 26th, and then the search was cut back. And after that day, the number of searchers started to die down. The search was actually abandoned on June 29th after a last, like, last hurrah search. Yeah. And either September 11th or September 14th, there was contradicting, there was conflicting dates and articles. Mm-hmm. The search was officially closed for Dennis. Yeah. So, do we want to, like, talk a little about, before we move on, what we think about the search, how big this search was? Yeah. Because there's definitely conflicting things, opinions on this as well. Yeah. I mean... It was great that they, the family had so much support in literally getting so many eyes out there and looking for him and looking for evidence. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that many people could have skewed Trampled the shit. evidence. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And not only that many people, but that many people who didn't know what the hell to look for and not to look for. They were not properly trained. There was Boy Scouts there. Yeah, they could have been stomping over evidence. They could have been rubbing against a, a like, brush where right. maybe a, a dog thing was bent. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, on top of that, I mean, we'll get into that with something that was actually found. But having children help look probably wasn't the best idea because then you're also adding their little footprints to his little footprints. Yeah. And how do you see the difference between the two? You don't. Yeah. And, like, even as far as, like, soil patterns go, like, that's a big thing for searching areas and doing grid pattern uh-huh. searches. Like, it's so hard to tell if anything was disrupted because there were so many people. Yeah, you had 1,400 people tracking shit on their shoes from one place to another. Right. Which, I mean, it's like it's hard because you would hope that many people would jump on out of the kindness of their heart to help find someone. And yeah, you would think the more eyes and the ears, the better because it is more people able to see stuff. But right. number one, if you're not properly trained, you're not helping. Like, it, that's not really helping. And then, I mean, even if you aren't properly trained and you're trying to help, that many people doing that at the same time there has to, there is, there's going to be chaos, whether it's some people being like, oh, I already searched there, and really they searched up to this point, and you thought they covered the whole area, mm-hmm. or, like, it's going to be all skewed. Like, I don't, it's... I feel like this was one of the biggest mistakes, you know, and people have learned from it since, obviously, we'll talk about that, but it was just, there was no evidence that they could find, and I think it was partially because of the number of people. Too many people. Yeah. yeah. And then the weather on top of it didn't yeah, help. Yeah, didn't help for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, do you have to add anything? No, I think, okay. I think that's it. So, I was going to move on to the witness reports next, because they obviously, you know, were talking to a lot of people in the area. On June 14th, which, again, was the day that Dennis went missing, around 6 to 6.45 p.m., Harold's key and his family heard, quote, an enormous sickening scream and saw a man who appeared to be hiding in a bush, in the brush. Um, Which is just odd, honestly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, 
This location that they saw this and heard this at was near Sea Branch, southwest of Cades Cove, which was about seven miles from Spence Field, the place where Dennis was seen last. Mm -hmm. He thought that it could have been a moonshiner at the time, like, hiding from him, because that did happen Mm -hmm. in the forest, obviously. Um, He said he described it as a dark figure that appeared to be carrying something over his shoulder. Hmm. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't want to see what he's carrying over his shoulder? Right. And was it big enough to be the size of a child? Right. Or was he carrying a little knapsack over his shoulder? Or was it a bear? (laughs) Yeah, a bag of his moonshine. Right. (laughs) Like, I feel like you would have to know the approximate size of what he was carrying. To describe it? Or, Or to say, oh, he was walking like he was carrying something that weighed... Yeah. 60 pounds or something. It was heavy. Yeah, 50 pounds, as opposed to throwing a 10-pound sack over his shoulder. Yeah. I don't know. There has to be more information than that. I know. That's all I gave. So, he actually didn't, Harold Key, the guy who saw this, did not report what he saw until a couple days later because he was unaware of the search for the missing boy, which I find super hard to believe that he was unaware like, it was... It, if there were 1,400 people stomping through the woods. Right. <laughs> and all of the Asking every person were covering saw. it in the radio stations. Yeah. I mean, unless he was deep in the forest somewhere right. and didn't have access well, to yeah. media. Or but, he could have left the day he went missing because it says that he actually returned home, heard about Dennis then, and then decided to report it. Interesting. Which okay. possible, I guess. A complete investigation of this could not happen because Key didn't know an exact time. Part of the time frame would have matched up with Dennis's disappearance. Distance was unlikely, and there was no sufficient evidence. So they basically were like, we can't really go any further with this. Which, I don't get how it wouldn't have matched up with the time of his disappearance. You know what I mean? Wait, how? This is what doesn't make sense to me, is it's saying part of the time frame wouldn't have matched up. Right. But he didn't know an exact time, so how would there be a time frame at all? Even, but even between 6 and 6.45, how is that not possible for Dennis to have made it to that point? Do you know what I mean? Seven miles from there? Yeah. Maybe it wasn't a straightaway... Like, maybe it wasn't a straight seven miles and there was some rough terrain that they're like, oh, a seven, a six-year-old child, could, child couldn't have gotten down this in this time know. frame. Like, it would have taken him at least two hours to go over this part. And I don't know. From what I read, they discounted it very quickly and it was almost overlooked. Hmm. Yeah. But that's people's opinions as well. Right. So, at 7.30 p.m. that same day that he went missing, naturalist Terry Chilcote and his wife arrived at the Spence Field and stumbled onto the search. Oh my God, imagine stumbling onto I know, that. right? They reported seeing nothing on the trail coming from Cades Cove. So they were, you know, in the direction coming to the field. Didn't see anything, at least from where they were coming from. Mm-hmm. At some point, Dennis's father, Bill, offered a $5,000 reward for information, which in 2019 would have equated to $34,859. Holy shit. Which is a lot of money for, I mean, it's his kid, though, you know? Yeah. Several days into the search, child-sized footprints had been found. Led, it was led near the west prong of the Pigeon River and then disappeared. Hmm. Yeah. Which... 
Again, it could have been any of the little Boy Scouts running around. Yeah. I mean, keep reading, though, because there is information that makes me think that it might have been his. Yeah. It was determined by park officials to have been left by a Boy Scout participating in the search. Mm -hmm. But tracks showed that one foot was barefoot and the other was the Oxford shoe, which is the type of shoe that Dennis was wearing or some kind of similar tennis shoe. Um, retired park ranger and author Dwight McCarter believes that the prints likely belong to Dennis. I agree with you, Dwight. Yeah, me too, Dwight. <laughs> Dwight! Dwight! <laughs> the tracks were not part of a group and none of the Boy Scouts were searching while barefoot. Right, like why would a Boy Scout take his one shoe off and be like, haha, I'm gonna walk and one shoe on and one right, shoe and off muddy. and walk? It would yeah. be muddy at the time, And too. if there were not a whole bunch of other tracks around it. Mm-hmm. Why would there why would there be this one yeah, it just child stopped. looking on its own and right. stopped? Yeah. A shoe and a sock were found, but there was really not much more information on whether or not it was Dennis's or whose it was or mm-hmm. who it belonged to, which I find that like super coincidental and strange. I don't know. Yeah. Like why wouldn't that have led somewhere? Yeah, and if the thing is that doesn't really make sense to me too if there were that many people searching Mm -hmm. why weren't there more footprints in that area right you know was that area actually like never fully checked right and they thought they had because there was 1400 people looking at one point right yeah, the Dwight McArthur, he actually claimed that this was not fully followed up because searchers had already been in the area. So, but that's the that thing. That could have been overlooked though. And if they had been in the area, why weren't there a bunch of other footprints? Why was there this right. just this one child's footprint with one shoe on and one shoe off? And if they had been in the area, wouldn't someone be like, "Wow, that's freaking strange. Why is there a little child's barefoot?" Like, footprint, and then another footprint with a shoe on. Right, right. And it's leading towards this stream, and then it disappears. Oh, my God, it could be him, and he fell in. Like, right. that would be my thought process. Right. It's near a stream. Yeah. And the streams were turbulent at this point in time because they were so flooded. Yeah, I feel like seeing that would be a red flag to people. Yeah. Which is just odd. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, 1985, a ginseng hunter told authorities he actually saw skeletal remains that he believed to be of a child in Tremont's Big Hollow, Tennessee, and he had seen the bones years earlier but hadn't come forward because he was afraid he would be prosecuted for illegal ginseng, which, I'm sorry, wouldn't you prioritize... Finding a child's skeleton over your illegal ginseng whatever. And he didn't have to tell him he was doing ginseng hunting. He could have just been like, I was walking. Yeah. It's, that's just like odd to me. And you wait years to finally come forward. And you're like, ugh, maybe I should. Yeah. So law enforcement went to the spot, he said, but they found nothing. So by then, I mean, if it had been years. Could have been moved. Could have, yeah, could have. People could have, like, walked, like, things could have happened to stir it up, move Animals. it. Or it was never really there. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to some theories about what might have happened to Dennis. Yeah. There were three, well, there are, I'm sorry, three main theories that exist. And these were all, these were mentioned in an article that we were going to post on our Facebook, but they are also mentioned throughout Reddit 
forums Yeah, we have the stuff. link for those as well. Yeah. So the first theory is that Dennis became lost and perished from exposure or some other cause, likely during the first night. And this is the most probable theory according to park officials, which sadly, a six-year-old boy out in the wilderness like that, like that is a potential I know. thing that could have happened. The second thing is that he could have been attacked by a hungry bear or less likely a feral pig and carried off. He was so little. Yeah. And I had read in one of the articles that they had actually trapped a bear weeks earlier and it was extremely thin and was, it had been eating something that it usually wouldn't. I forget what, I forget what it was, but they, they were like lacking in food in that area at the time, I guess. So they were like, okay, this is a potential thing yeah. that normally wouldn't happen that could have happened. I also read that on a Reddit thread, there was a bunch of campers during this time that talked about hearing, um, like, wild cats growling at oh night God. outside of their tent. Like, it woke up one of this family's kids, and he heard it, and there had been, like, alleged reports of big cats in the area around the time. I feel, I feel like, personally, in my opinion... The animal thing isn't likely, though, unless it happened later on that day after he had already gotten lost somewhere because Mm -hmm. that close and had he'd only been gone for three to five minutes. Right. I feel like in that proximity, yeah, yeah, the someone would have heard the animal, someone would have heard him screaming because of the animal, Mm -hmm. like there would have been noise, I feel like. So then the third theory is that he was abducted and taken out of the park by someone or something and his father believed that this was the most likely most likely the situation that happened which i could see all three happening and like i feel like i'm never like that on cases i'm like oh this is definitely what happened but i could literally see all three happening just because he's in like a national park in the middle of nowhere yeah and that entrance to the like the trail that the jeeps and the trucks could drive on Mm -hmm. was so close to where he went missing it could have even been someone walking on the trail, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I lean more towards one and three than being two attacked by, by being attacked by an animal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless he did get lost and then later that night it happened or hours later it happened. I don't think it happened right then and there I feel if like, it was an animal. Yeah. Like, he could have been taken into, like, a, a bear cave or anything, though. Yeah. Or, I don't know. So, these were suspicions from the Martin family. We're going to mention some names only because they were mentioned. They're mentioned in articles and they've been ruled out, but they're also in the incident report that we have, so it's public knowledge. Right. So and we felt it wasn't necessary to hide the names. It's not like we're saying these people did it. Yeah. We're just putting the information out there. Yeah. So the first person that the Martin family potentially suspected or were suspicious of was Richard French, who was a Tennessee contractor. Mrs. Martin thought him and a lady could have taken Dennis for reasons unknown. I mean, they just, she just had a a suspicion or a feeling. And Mr. French was part of the search and he clung to Bill during most of the search. Which is weird. Like, I don't know, maybe he felt uneasy about how close he was to Bill and Bill felt maybe he was trying to hide something because he was trying to keep so close to him. Yeah. That, I think that like was what was going himself. through their heads. Yeah. But at the same time, some people are just empathetic like that. Like, I'm an empathetic person where right, right. I 
I want to make sure the people who are closest are feeling comforted and are getting the help or support that they need because I feel like especially in a situation like this, everyone's so focused on finding the child, they're not really like, how is the parent right now? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Or how is this person right now? I always try to go above and beyond like that so I could see if he was just being empathetic and trying to support him in a way. Which is totally possible. Yeah. So... A woman from Miami called saying she wanted to speak to Dennis's mother, and she actually told her to watch out for Mr. Fren- uh, French. Yeah, which is she said that. Weird. Yeah, she said that she was like, um, she had a sixth cent for the sense for these kind of things, and uh-huh. she felt the need to call and tell her about it. But to specifically name Mr. French is just odd. Right. So, Mrs. Martin thought that maybe they were working together. She didn't really know what to make of it, I guess. Right. So, another person that the Martins suspected was Billy Noland, who was a psychic interpreter. And Billy Noland had actually joined the search without funds and wanted permission to stay in the area for several days. And he was, quote-unquote, sure he could find the boy. So... I clear, I obviously believe in mediums. I have, like, the gift myself. We've talked about it. But, yes, there are people who insert themselves and prey upon people who are in situations like this. Right, and maybe the overconfidence was unsettling to them. They were like, why are you so sure you can find him? Do you know something? I personally would never say I'm sure of anything. No, 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 no. And... If he was so sure, then Dennis should have been found. Right. So I can see why they're sketched like weird about him. Yeah. yeah. And then the third person was Carter Martin, which was the other Martin family father mm-hmm. that was camping, and they were like, oh, could they have, like, mixed up the families and kidnapped the wrong boy, <laughs> which is just, like... I laughed no. a little bit at that one. You're not gonna Martin, take someone else. Come over here, one of you Martins, and they accidentally grab Dennis. No, I mean they that can be completely ruled out though because they were part of the the group of people that were watching these kids play, right? And then searching him for him when he was right. missing. So I don't know where the fuck that came from, but let's just throw that out the yeah. window. <laughs> So, those were the people that the Martin family, like we said, were, you know, suspicious of, but they had been ruled out um, as being involved in the disappearance of Dennis. So, with all of that being said, there are some things that are happy that came out of Dennis's disappearance, as sad as, as tragic as that was. We always try to include something... Happy. Happy, if there can be a happy. Yeah. Not happy, but... Uh, yeah positive that came out of like anything a tragedy yeah. yeah so dennis's disappearance quote spurred a new science that changed how the entire world searches for lost people the advancements have saved countless lives in the half century since martin disappeared and that was a quote from wbir.com Chin- i mean not even the united states but the entire world that's huge yeah huge um, 1970s and 1980s, there was a large emphasis on, uh, placed on research and training search personnel. So they were like, we cannot let randos. what happened happen again. We can't let randos search the area. 1,400 right. randos. Some with, some with experience, some that are literally Dennis's age. Yeah. Improvements were then made to develop proper rescue equipment. 
communications and chains of command were revamped uh, for searchers. Mm -hmm. Rescue crews changed how they communicate with public to solicit valuable assistance without damaging the search. Super important. Very important. I feel like, I mean, as we mentioned, a lot of potential evidence was probably just gone because of people trampling over it Mm -hmm. and not properly making their way through the search. Yeah. Yeah. The National Park Service reviewed and amended its policies regarding searches for missing people, which Thank is great. God. Clay Jordan, deputy and super deputy superintendent of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, said, quote, "The Dennis Martin case led to the creation of a whole new science scientific approach to searching for people. There was a real effort to study how we manage searches and the psychology of how lost persons behave." That's amazing. Yeah, I get chills. I know me too. He also said, quote. I was not working in the Smokies when I learned about Dennis Martin. People everywhere in the world involved in the search and rescue know Dennis Martin's name. He was the boy responsible for changing search and rescue, not just in Tennessee or the United States, but across the globe. People being trained in search management in Australia are taught about the Dennis Martin case. I want to cry. I know. I'm so happy, um, Jackie, that you suggested this case. I know. Me too. This is obviously... I mean, every case is important, yeah. but this made such a huge impact on the history of any yeah. search and rescue cases, yeah. any missing, in, missing people. yeah, missing people cases. Right. It's so important. So I'm just going to mention um, his identifying features at the time of his disappearance. He was wearing a red t-shirt, dark green hiking shorts, white socks, a black low-cut Oxford shoe with uh, a simple heel. So that was what he was wearing when he went missing. And he was also missing one of his upper front teeth. Oh, poor baby. I know. Any information on Dennis's whereabouts or what had happened to Dennis, you can contact the Great Smoky Mountain Police Department, and their phone number is 865-436-1230, or you can contact Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at 615-744-4000. Yeah, and obviously, if we're mentioning these identifying features, not because, oh, if he's alive, he's still wearing this stuff no. today. Like, <laughs> clearly not, but... If they're seen in the woods. Yeah, or, or if you had seen a little boy wearing that that day and you didn't put two and two together, right. call it in. They, like, I mean, oh, I did see. Yeah, even fifty something years later, however many years it's been later, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, if something's triggered in your mind, call it in because you can help put a missing piece into this case that they really need. Yeah, and we are also going to post. They did do a um, age progression of him, what he would look like today, so we know that. Those aren't always accurate, but we will post that on our Facebook page as well. In case it looks familiar. Yeah. And the information that Kelsey just read about the phone numbers to contact, if you have information, we will include in our show notes as well. And Facebook. Yeah. So, sadly. That's it. That's the end of the story for now, unless something comes up, but that's what we have now. We just hope that some closure could eventually be found, 
like, be brought to Dennis's family. Yeah. And an idea of what could have happened to him. I know. So sad. So, I think that's, that's about it. it. We don't have anything to add in at the end, do we? I don't think so. I think we mentioned our merchandise. I think that's it. Yeah. All right. So, until next week. Bye. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook